All right, y'all. We got uh, Charles Eisenstein on the podcast today. Bucket list guest. There's just no other way to put it. Um, he has had a profound impact on my life, uh, and I feel... I mean, I, I feel just felt out of this world fortunate to be able to meet him in person when he spoke at our second Fit for Service event this year uh, over the summer out in Austin. And um, I just love this guy inside and out. And he's had some really, really grounded and amazing takeaways from this last year and a half. And, um, you know, this podcast was really <laughs> me asking questions that pertain to um, myself, you know, in, in a lot of ways, what my path was for this last year and a half. And of course, um, uh, where I stand now on it is still in that red pill podcast that I did the solo podcast. So a lot of where I stand with what's occurring in the world is, can be found there. Catch up on that. If you missed it, I doubt if you're listening to this, you skipped the red pill solo podcast, but, um, Charles has been great in, in really, you know, continuing to to use a filter on the self and examine and poke holes in some of um, our ideas, and then still, you know, seeing the gaslighting taking place and um, you know, really what is happening in the world that we can agree on, that we can see for ourselves, that isn't you know something way out, you know, in uh, the spiritual realm or you know, ETs or something that's necessarily unprovable. There's, there's quite a bit that is provable. There's quite a bit, um, that we see that, that does raise one to say I've had enough. And, um, Charles is just brilliant. He talks about his experience in the unfolding of the last year and a half. He talks about being canceled. He talks, you know, openly and vulnerably about himself in many ways. Um, this is the first of many to come, you know, uh, and I hope, I truly hope that, you know, we're, we're going to circle back and, and do one face to face. We did this over the interwebs. Uh, my voice might change about five minutes through as I forget, to, forgot to hit the local recorder until five minutes in. So it'll be computer audio, then switch over. Please don't, uh, don't say Kingsbury's audio shit and turn it off five minutes in, give it a second. It'll pick back up. But, um, anywho, I love this podcast. I love Charles. Uh, CharlesEisenstein.com. He's on Substack. We'll link to all that in the show notes. Uh, he has some brilliant, brilliant articles. You know, many, many people, I think the coronation went viral. So likely uh, you've heard of this guy before, certainly. Um, he's had a couple shows with Aubrey Marcus already and a third one releasing likely shortly, maybe right around the time this does. So we'll link to that in the show notes if it is out and available by the time this releases definitely check those out. Um, I try to do my best to steer it different, different directions, but still cover the things that I find absolutely necessary to cover. So there shouldn't be too much overlay. Uh, even if there is some, um, you can support this podcast by supporting our sponsors as per usual. We've got great, great sponsors. This show is brought to you today by buy optimizers. Uh, winter AKA six season is upon us and we all know this is the time of year to take extra care to protect ourselves from germs and bacteria. We dive into, you know, on the podcast terrain theory and its benefits and germ theory as well. Uh, not wholeheartedly, you know, obviously I have a longer podcast with Thomas Cowan on that, but needless to say, this is the time and the place to take extra care of yourself. You can do everything right. Wash your hands, keep your hands away from your face, carry around hand sanitizer, but you still get sick. 
That's why you need to protect your body from the inside, not just the out. And you can do that by building up your immune system with some high-quality and high-strength probiotics. That's why I'm really excited about P3OM. P3OM is a patented probiotic that might be the most effective probiotic ever developed. P3OM fights bacteria and strengthens immunity, basically a germ-fighting superhero, but it also helps digestion, it speeds up metabolism, and increases energy throughout the day. That's way more than I thought probiotics could do. And just when I thought P3OM couldn't get any more powerful, I watched a video, which you can see at p3om.com slash radically loved, of all the probiotic literally breaking down a piece of steak. After I saw that, I was all in. You'll be amazed too. Check it out. We'll link to it in the show notes. And here's some more awesome news. You can get 10% off P3OM right now by going to p3om.com slash radically loved and typing in the coupon code radically loved 10. And if you order it, and it's not everything you hope for. Their support team will give you all of your money back, no questions asked. So if you want to protect yourself from whatever bug is floating around this year and take your digestion to a new level, visit P3, uh, or number three, and letter O, M, dot com. Uh, and check that out. We'll have it in there. Radically loved. 10 at, as the discount code to get 10% off. And of course, this is all in the show notes, so don't worry about writing that down. We're also brought to you today by Organifi. Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offer plant-based nutrition with high-quality ingredients and less than three grams of sugar. This is critical. When I was into the juicing phase uh, of my life uh, later, you know, in the, the late stages of my fighting career, I was training two or three times a day. So if I had extra carbohydrates in the form of liquid, which is a big no-no, I was going to burn that off. It wasn't that big of a deal. Sticking around with a lot of juicing blends after fighting when I wasn't training that hard and doing maybe three workouts a week, uh, it's really an interesting way to put on weight through organic juice, but it can happen. Um, it's one of the reasons I absolutely love these guys. They take superfoods and make them super convenient to take. On the go, they've got single-size packets. Um, we did a 10-day road trip out to Sedona and the Grand Canyon and then Kingman for Thanksgiving and, a, and uh, my brother-in-law's wedding. It was fantastic. Every, uh, every single day, multiple times a day, I was using the Organifi Greens in their little single-serve packs. And it was just an, an excellent way for me to balance cortisol levels with the ashwagandha and get moringa and a number of these other superfoods in that I'm just not going to cook. Uh, I'm not making a tea. I'm not just adding you know, all these things together. They've done it all for me. And that's one of the beautiful things about this is that it's so convenient and easy to use. And at the end of it, I've only added three grams of sugar or less so I'm not going to pack on pounds from it. And yet they taste amazing. So again, many of you have heard me talk about, uh, I'm a huge fan of Kratom. That certainly helped on the long drives. And this makes not-so-tasty greens taste much better. If you were going to make a celery juice, I'd add this to celery juice. Uh, you can add it to all sorts of stuff. And of course, this is just one of their many great products. Again, 600 milligrams of clinically proven ashwagandha, which is an adaptogen. It's going to help you uh, regulate all types of stress hormones and different things and regulate mood as well. Um, so it's, it's a really amazing product. The turmeric gold is also one of my all time favorites. I put it right up there with the greens. I mix that with full fat coconut cream at night. It's got lemon balm extract and a number of other great things to lower inflammation and help me feel nice and sleepy and ready for a good night's rest. Check it all out. Organifi.com slash KKP. And use code KKP for 20% off everything in the store. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com slash KKP and code KKP at checkout for 20% off the whole deal. We're also brought to you by Lucy. Lucy was founded by Caltech scientists who are former smokers 
looking for a better and cleaner nicotine alternative, and they researched and developed this for three years. They created a nicotine gum with four milligrams of nicotine that comes in wintergreen, cinnamon, and pomegranate, and they also have a lozenge with four megs of nicotine in cherry ice flavor. Their products can be enjoyed anywhere, flights, at work, on the go, even in the gym, which I absolutely love because nicotine is a nootropic, and anything that you do to enhance the central governor of the nervous system, meaning your sharpness and acuity, will enhance your ability to perform strength. It'll enhance your ability to perform reaction. That's why you see pitchers and batters in baseball games with a huge wad in their mouth. Now, obviously, that's not going to be as healthy as a super clean product like this from Lucy. Check it all out. You can get 20% off everything in the store at lucy.co and use promo code KKP. That's L-U-C-Y dot C-O and uh, promo code KKP at checkout. And of course, this product contains nicotine derived from tobacco. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. And guess what? I say yes to that. It is phenomenal, and you will be happy with it. We are, last but not least, brought to you by PaleoValley.com. Paleo Valley was a massive hit on this 10-day road trip. Massive hit uh, for me and my son. And even little Wolfie, was. I, I'd have to chew off the skins on some of these so she could snap into them because it's got good snap on the beef sticks. But... This was great. This was so great. I mean, we drove to Las Cruces, New Mexico. Uh, and if look, if it says eight hours on Waze, <laughs> it's a fucking 13-hour drive. It's just a 13-hour drive. Even if the kids and mom could go use the shitter in the back there while we're driving, um, still got to pull over to cook properly. That way kids aren't putting their hand on the stove, which happened to me when I was two. And I'm going way off on a tangent here, but <laughs> all to bring it home that the trip took a very long time. It was extremely exhausting. And one of the pure joys that I had was that in one of the cup holders up front, I had about 10 Paleo Valley beef sticks right there. Anytime I got hungry, I'd crack one open and munch on one or two of them. Um, super, super, the highest quality ingredients, grass-fed, grass-finished. And many on the market claim grass-fed, but they're actually finished on grains, which is genetically modified grains. It's genetically modified corn, wheat, and other nasty shit. I don't want that. I want healthy, happy animals. We tell our kids, you want happy cows. You don't want sad cows from McDonald's. You don't want sad cows with health problems that are going to lead to your health problems. We use the best, and Paleo Valley uses the best. It's one of my favorite products. They use only real organic spices to flavor their beef sticks versus conventional spices sprayed with pesticides or natural flavors often made from GMO corn. Again, glyphosate, glyphosate, glyphosate. They ferment their sticks, which creates natural occurring probiotics, which are great for gut health. So again, if you have, you know, jer you know get some jerky from uh, Bucky's when you're in town, see how that makes your gut feel. You don't feel good. It's, it's not a good thing. I was mowing these down on a daily and had no GI issues whatsoever. And I would have heard about it, you know, if, uh, if I was cranking out farts in this tiny RV, it's like a 24 foot uh, class C, it would have spread throughout the cabin. So thankfully, um, didn't piss my wife off. Not to say I, I went 10 days without farting, that would be a lie. <laughs> but uh, I kept it to a minimum and these weren't the, uh, the culprit. So 100% grass-fed beef has higher levels of omega-3 fatty acids. That's going to lower inflammation and improve cognitive function. Vitamins and minerals, fat-soluble vitamins and minerals that you're only going to get with fat, which is in the beef stick. Glutathione, which is Nature's perfected antioxidants, the, liver most, the liver's most potent antioxidant is found in this. CLA, conjugated linoleic acid, which is the fat that burns fat. Bioavailable protein, they're also keto-friendly. And even though I haven't been in ketosis for a while, I'm going to do that um, 
a three-week stint a la Mark Sisson's Keto Reset Diet with a five-day uh, fasting mimicking diet coming up at the first Fit for Service Minor at the end of January. Knowing that's coming up, I'm not in ketosis right now, but I also don't want to get a bunch of shitty carbs from my snacks. I want to get something that's going to make me feel full and actually aid in, in my body's ability to remain healthy while I'm on the road, while I'm sitting for 13, 14 hours a day. And this is the product to do that. It tastes great. I use it all the time. It's not just when I'm on road trips, but man, paleovalley.com knocks it out of the park for travel. They have a whole host of other amazing products and supplements as well. These guys refuse to cut corners. They prioritize health over profit and they use conscientious processing and manufacturing. Check it all out, paleovalley.com and use discount code Kyle for 15% off everything there. That's P-A-L-E-O-V-A-L-L-E-Y.com. Discount code Kyle at checkout for 15% off everything in the store. Love these dudes. Love all my sponsors. Thank you so much uh, for sponsoring this show. And thank you so much to Charles Eisenstein. Without further ado, here he is. Let me know what you think. Uh, at Living with the Kingsburys on Instagram while we're still there. And of course, find me on Zion. Uh, Kyle Kingsbury is the name of the group that I'm in. Yeah, Tierman, Tierman set me up with you. And I think it was, um, you guys were really discussing sacred economics. Mm -hmm. I dove into that. Uh, brilliant. And then, of course, The More Beautiful World Our Hearts Know is Possible, which is, in my opinion, one of my top 10 books ever, ever read. Um, mm, thank you. I've been following you online, you know, and, and it's, you you know, I'm really, I'm trying to draw this into a circle here of where I'm heading with this opening question, but following different people online, um, really to see, you know, who are the intelligent people, the people that I, that I really look up to and how are they viewing the world right now? And I could kind of see this arc, you know, with, with not just with myself, but with others like yourself in, in some of the articles you were writing, you know, obviously with the coronation um, a lot had changed, you know, from there to, you know, some of the more recent articles you've written, obviously. And so I got to watch that transpire and you came out and spoke at, at our second fit for service event this year at Aubrey's parents' house. And it just blew me. I didn't know which way you were going to go, you know, and it just blew me the fuck away when you dove into the gaslighting that's taken place and the, really the insanity that one goes through when, when you, you, you do your checks and balances and you're like, wait a minute, if I'm seeing it this way, why the fuck isn't everyone else seeing it this way? How come, how come I can't be the only one that's seeing it this way? What, what's happening there, right? And you start to lose trust in yourself and you lose trust mm -hmm. in the things that you're able to see. And it, and it does lead to uh, a bit of an unraveling. Talk a bit about this process for you and, and, and really, you know, what you spoke to with the ability to, to rekindle trust and the, the, the power of the face-to-face -face gathering. Yeah. So I've been thinking a lot about sanity and I'm probably not the only one who has had moments in the last year or two where I felt like I was going insane, alternating with moments where I thought the world was going insane. Because when the world is going crazy and everybody, and I'm using the rhetorical everybody here because it's certainly not everybody, but when the world is going crazy and everybody acts like it's normal, you naturally start to think, well, maybe I'm the one who's insane because this is human nature. You know, if, if like, if you and I were, were hanging out with a group of buddies and, and you looked 
over at the horizon and you saw a UFO like coming down from the sky and landing on a hilltop, what's the first thing that you would do? You you'd jump up and down. Yeah. You're like, do you <laughs> well, fucking see that right now? <laughs> that's right. You'd be like, guys, look, is, is, am I seeing what I'm really seeing here? And if all of us said, no, 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 Kyle, that's a, that's a cloud, man. That's not a UFO. Even if you were pretty sure that that was a UFO, you'd really start to doubt your own eyes because you trust us. It's, it's human nature. You know, we know that we're not infallible. So we rely on the perceptions of the people we trust and the people we love um, to, to, to help us orient to what's real. And that innate trust, especially in authority, because when you're a kid, who, who do you ask? You know, it's your parents, right? And, and in a healthy society, those who are in authority have earned it because their perceptions are reliable. They're respected. They are wise. So this human uh, tendency to, and it's a healthy thing. It's a good thing to orient according to what the people around us are seeing can be hijacked by um, manipulative, uh, fascistic, totalitarian powers, which is what I think is happening today. So you can feel, so it sure looks like if you read like mainstream media, you know, and, and the censored social media and so forth, it sure looks like you're kind of alone here and, 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 or maybe with the other crazies. So it's been, for me, this last year and a half or so, it's been quite a journey to really trust my direct perceptions, including my perception of who is trustworthy, and to navigate, like, where does that morph into uh, creating a reality bubble of yes-men around myself that that filters out anything that could disturb what I believe. Because uh, a lot of that's happening too. So it's, 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 not, it's not been easy. And I guess what the speech that you're talking about, that came kind of at the end of this long trajectory of going to the foundations of what I know, what I don't know, what is authentic doubt and what is just shying away from what I do actually know. So yeah, we're all in quite a difficult situation here. Yeah, no, no doubt. No doubt. Um, you know, you brought up the, the, I, I mean, I'm really thinking of this as like an initiation of sorts with discernment as like the main theme, like it's an initiation of our ability to use discernment. Can we separate truth from fiction? Are there any actual inherent truths that exist or is it all just um, subjective reality? You know, and I, I'm thinking about that and thankfully, you know, to, to what you're speaking to, like, have you now just lumped yourself into an entire other group of yes men and, and everybody that's going to just get around you and kind of, yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah. It's those guys or, 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 you know, get, get on the bandwagon where there's no real growth in that to test what's being proposed. 
I'm thankfully, you know, being around Aubrey and Godzi and in the the group that I'm in, I'm usually the one that's bringing the the far out fucking idea and 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 trying to wrangle them into seeing it that way, mm-hmm. and they're poking holes in that. So I get a fair bit of that. Um, you know, one of the things that you brought up was on this last podcast with Aubrey is how some people that have been truth sayers in this might take things and then kind of grab on to something that's just getting tossed around that hasn't necessarily been vetted. You know, I think you were talking about um, nanotechnology in, uh, in one of Pfizer's new um, uh, patents, you know, and, and I was thinking about that and I was like, well, DARPA has that technology patented from 10 years ago. We don't, we don't know if it's in there. And the point that I circle back to is like, without nanotechnology, without um, whatever that metal is, uh, graphene oxide, without those things in it, is it still experimental or not? You know, and that's been a, a real safety net for me to rest on and say, yeah, it's fucking experimental. And we're all just walking into this thing, not raising our hand with a question. And if we do, you're canceled. I mean, I've had mm-hmm. so many people, this podcast was the on it podcast. I was the host of for, mm-hmm. you know, three years. Um, when Aubrey and I left on it, uh, prior to the sale, it just became my podcast. Well, it's still in large part, a health and wellness podcast of the, the vast majority of guests that I've had on have been some of the smartest medical doctors in the world who specialize in a, in a wide variety of things, you know, when I think of these guys and they too have been canceled, you know, um, we had Dr. Kirk Parsleyon, who is a, a Navy SEAL and then a medical doctor for the Navy SEALs, and then is now still an uh, actively practicing medical doctor who was banned on Twitter, suspended indefinitely, simply for posting photos of what the CDC had on their website without, without any commentary. He wasn't writing 140 characters to debunk it. He would only post the photo, which was... Uh, you know, contrary to something that Fauci had just said or contrary to something that he has seen on the news, like, oh, hey, this says different right here. It's on their website. He gets suspended indefinitely. You know, the 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 reach is just, yeah. um, I think, the most alarming. And that's in part something I, I, I thought we could have all agreed on. I thought we all could have gotten together and said, hey, whether we disagree on this or want to, you know, want to choose this or not, um, there's some core truths here that we should be able to agree on. I think the the largest of which would be that this isn't the Spanish flu. It's not what we were told it was, right. you know. And I and I and I and that's where I see kind of this. Um, you know, I can continue to have faith in my process and know my, what is my fuck yeah. The rehearsal is over, right? Mm-hmm. I I know where I'm going to say yes to. But then yeah. still the concern of such a large. Um, uh, majority or what appears to be a majority of people that really do just have, um, you know, their, their horse blinders on and they just want to keep taking the next step forward to the trough to feed. And they just want to go to work and they want to lumber on to watch the game and drink. And they want to lumber on to the next thing and just pretend that everything goes back to normal. If I get another booster shot, if I get a vax card, if I get an RFID chip put in me. I mean, it- mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I mean, there's, there's so much I could go into with what you said. Um, not sure where to begin, but what, do you, what, what would you like to hear me um, speak to, Kyle? I mean, really, really the, 
A couple of things I want to take that with is, and I, I could have been certainly more clear. That was more of a rant than a question. So my, <laughs> my apologies for that. Um, it seems as if for those who know and have done at least some degree of work on themselves to pierce the veil and know that, that um, um, how I choose to show up is just as important as the end result. You know, the, the re- in, in terms of the rehearsal is over, it, it feels like the group of people who answer that call know themselves. And there's a few more that are going to wake up throughout the next, I mean, over the next 10 years as we see this continue to unfold, the plan for 2030, the plan for the Great Reset. Mm-hmm. I feel like there will be another tide of new people coming in saying, oh, okay, I was on board until this happened. Yeah, I was on board until that happened. Um, I'm not sure. You know, I, I guess what I'm asking in regards to that is, is, is it just a certain group that was already in that plan, that was already in the game of self-work and, and trying to understand the world differently and trying to understand themselves differently and how they participate in the world? Is that already a small group and that will be necessarily uh, po- possibly the only group of people that show up in the way that we're showing up right now? Okay. Yeah. So. Really, you know, what we're talking about is the process of metamorphosis. Like, what what does it take for somebody to exit the, I call it the old story, which is the old normal, which is a certain understanding of self, of world, of reality, of how to be human. How do I do this thing? And, and like you're talking about all these people who are have got the blinders on and so forth and it's hard sometimes not to speak contemptuously of them and to forget like sometimes this happens to me too i forget that actually what i'm speaking of here are divine human beings they are life each one of us is life and sacred so when I recognize that, I can ask with curiosity and not contempt, why are they so intoxicated by the propaganda? Why are they seemingly so unwilling to change? When I changed, you know, and I see through it and they don't, what's wrong with them? That whole mindset is actually part of the problem because it holds them like. I mean, I'm, I'm, you're, you're, you know, familiar with the world of coaching, whether athletic or life coaching and stuff. Like if you had a client and you were secretly thinking, this guy can't do it. This guy is a wuss down to his bottom of his soul. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's no way that you're going to hold the space for him to, to perform beyond what he knew was possible. So if we want to be powerful in the true sense of the word. We have to be holding a story for humanity that they can step into that is that is the fulfillment of who they really are. And especially be able to hold that story for the people that we might be tempted to hold in contempt. Because as long as we hold them in contempt, we're not inviting them to be anything else. And so with this awareness, then we can go and ask as I said, with curiosity and not contempt, well, why are you so intoxicated? What is it like to be you? And how does that change? 
And from what I've seen, it's kind of like you were saying, uh, people do not exit their comfortable, familiar story without a push and a pull. The push comes from something happening to them that just doesn't make sense, that is hard to tolerate. It could be they dutifully go get their vaccine and their second vaccine and their booster and they're and they're told things will go back to normal and and then like maybe they have an adverse reaction or their loved one has an adverse reaction and at the beginning they're like well that's a very rare event but maybe there's something in them that doesn't fully believe that and that that primes them to be a little more receptive when somebody comes to them and says hey you know hundreds of athletes have like collapsed on the field or um hey you know this doctor is saying that their unit is flooded with vaccine damaged patients or like there's there's a there's an opening there there's a crack in in the container of their reality and then and then something else happens and finally they can't hold it together anymore and that is a huge trauma when everything that you thought was real begins to fall apart because who you are in that reality also falls apart. Who you thought you were, where you got your uh, validation, your legitimacy, it's all in relation to what you thought was real. I mean, you might have been going around making fun of the anti-vaxxers and publicly wishing that, that they would get sick. And now it's happening, you know, now you're an anti-vaxxer. Like, I mean, where where you're you're wanting to be one, but but to do that, you have to eat a pretty large slice of humble pie. And we have to recognize that it's really hard to do that. And and the deeper the buy-in, the more doubling down, the harder it is to let go. So that with that understanding, maybe we don't frontally assault the people who haven't quote woken up yet. I mean, even that, like, do you really know that you're awake and someone else is asleep? Like that's, that's kind of sanctimonious, you know, Mm -hmm. that's not friendly, but you've probably seen the research where, where when somebody's belief is assailed, they react, their amygdala lights up in the same way as if you're threatening their life. And in a way you are, because beliefs are not just some abstract intellectual concept. Beliefs are part of identity. They're part of here is who I am, especially today. And so when it's assaulted, you're being assaulted. And that's especially true today when when community is so um, uh, so weak, where people, because normally a healthy human being knows who they are through their relationships with community, with extended family, with the environment, with plants and animals, with place, with generations. Uh, you, you, you know who you are because you're so well-known by everything around you, and you're in such intimate, deep relationship. And when we are stranded as consumers and producers relating to each other through markets and technology, we're these alienated selves. We don't have a strong sense of identity. And that makes us susceptible 
to to borrowing identity from our opinion groups. And that's why people are, this is another thing you mentioned, like, like the, the yes man phenomenon. Like this is why people are so strongly identified with being right and with a certain set of political beliefs. They defend them not because out of any logic or evidence, but because this is who I am. And, and you cannot, as the saying goes, you can't change somebody's mind with reason. You cannot change a belief with reason that they didn't reason themselves into to begin with. So there's a lot going on here. And I think we need to recognize that, you know, you and I are not immune to this. Like if some news item comes up in your COVID red pills feed or something like that on Telegram, it might be unsubstantiated. It might be like so-and-so doctor spoke out against this and was assassinated, you know, and like, yeah, that's terrible. But did you really look into that? Did you scrutinize that data point that that conforms to your narrative? The same way you would scrutinize a data point. New study shows that vaccines are 95% effective after all. Like if you saw that come up, would you immediately say, oh gosh, I guess I was wrong. No, you'd be like, okay, let's look at that study. Let's like, who, who published it? Who funded it? What was the methodology? Does it really like, like we would subject that to intense scrutiny. But when, when you read something and I, I mean, I do this too, you know, like I read something that, that supports what I think I tend to just kind of give it a free pass. And I'm learning not to do that because when I cite information that is not solid, it makes me an easy target and people can straw man me by, by cherry picking the weak points of the argument. So I'm learning to be very, very careful. Um, and, and also like, well, anyway, maybe I've said enough for now. <laughs> you, that, that's, that's, yeah, that's perfect. You know, I've, I've been thinking about, um, you know, the straw manning of the arguments and, and scrutiny and things of that nature. And there's something that, that Eric Godsey always brings up, you know, is that it's, it's human nature to take the weakest points and straw man it, you know, and say like, oh, that doesn't exist because you said it this way, right? And, and really poke holes in, in how something's presented or, or, you know, the weakest point of it. But to truly understand that, and Daniel Schmachtenberger is really big on this, we have to steel man their argument. And in doing so, ideally, we come to a place where we actually know their argument better than they do. And at the very least, it gives us the opportunity to, to walk a mile in their shoes and see why they view the things the way they view it. Um, you know, Jordan Peterson for years ago on Rogan's was bringing up the point. Um, I think it's in his book. He either uses lobsters or crabs, but he's talking about the, you can, you don't have to put the, the, the lid on the bucket because, you know, each one's trying to claw themselves back out to the top. So no one ever gets out of the bucket. But, um, I don't even know why I thought of that. But one of the things that he brings up is, um, you know, when, when we have a debate with somebody and then you could subscribe to this or not, but from an evolutionary biology standpoint, it's more than just the losing of the argument. It's more than just the need to be right. The, the need to be right is presented because of the fact that there's an influence that if I am made to be wrong, especially in, in the public circle or the public square, 
then that somehow gives me less value in mate selection, in, in a whole host of things. That makes me less important amongst the tribe if I've then lost that. Mm-hmm. So the, the clinging to ideas may be something that is inherently built into our biology over time. And that, that might be reason enough to want to hold ground and pay attention to a narrative that isn't serving anyone. That, that could be it in and of itself. Um, I think yeah. in, in large part, the problem that I'm having is that it, it, the further we go, the more contradiction there is. And the more contradiction there is, it should, it, that's not necessarily the same thing as, as being you know, vaccine injured or you know, having the world show up at your door the way lockdowns did. Um, but you know, if it, I, it, it seems to me that I'm seeing um, quite a few people that want to not pay attention and want to just, let's just chug along. You know, okay. and I'm not, go ahead. Yeah, so there's something else going on here. Like certainly the display of opinions and the dominating of other people could be some kind of social status drama, um, uh, some play of dominance and submission and so forth. But I think that there's something um, equally primal and maybe more powerful going on, which I call mob dynamics, where in, in, in ancient societies, the biggest problem facing society was cycles of vengeance, blood feuds, tit for tat violence. That, you know, somebody, you know, maybe kills somebody by accident or even insults somebody. And then that person's relatives get revenge. And then your relatives get revenge. And these would literally rip society apart. And the solution that ancient societies came up with was that you would take all of that anger and all of that bloodlust and all that desire for vengeance. And you would turn on a sacrificial victim where both sides of the conflict would unite. And in, in, in what the philosopher René Girard called unifying violence, they would unite and essentially lynch the victim, or it could be a whole subclass of victims and, and expiate the bloodlust in this unitive violent act. And then the problem would be solved. Everybody would be satisfied that something has been done. And because the problem was solved by killing the victim, in a kind of reverse logic, people believed that the victim must have been the cause of the problem. And then eventually this became institutionalized as human sacrifice. And the the impulse to find a dehumanized subclass and kill them, murder them, or remove them from society, sacrifice them, is still with us today. And, it, and, and especially in times of social tension, people start looking for who's to blame here. So during the Black Death, mobs went around killing the Jews, accusing them of being unclean, of poisoning the wells, of being contagious of of being you know heretics i mean i guess they were heretics in the eyes of the christians but but you had to find somebody to kill to make everything better again to placate the gods in some societies the king would be the one who would be sacrificed and in fact would be required during his reign to perform 
heinous acts and to break deep taboos so that he would become the concentrated repository of evil and then he would be killed. So what I see a lot of what's happening today and one reason people are so fearful to speak out is that if you offer a counter narrative opinion, you mark yourself as a heretic. If you don't conform to the rituals and taboos of the tribe, for example, the body ritual called vaccination, then you are a heretic. You are considered unclean beyond all reason. I mean, we know now that the unvaccinated, that the vaccinated are just as contagious and transmitting just as much virus and maybe more um, than the unvaccinated, but that doesn't matter. It's not a matter of whether the Jews are actually unclean. It's not a matter of whether the the anti-vaxxers and the unvaccinated are actually spreading disease or spreading disinformation or harm to society. It doesn't matter that the kid in your fourth grade class didn't actually have cooties. <laughs> if, but if you align yourself, if you identify yourself as one of that subclass of heretics and the unclean, that is dangerous. And we have a deep instinct that we have an antenna out for who's on the in, who's on the outs. You know, who's, who's the popular crowd? Who's the weird kid? I better not associate with the weird kid. I better not um, let, do anything that the mob will then identify as, you know, here's a, here's a victim. This is, this is a deep orient. People are frightened to speak out. And, and it's for good historical reason. And the thing is, though, that the more people who don't speak out and who hold their rebellion in secret, the more it looks like those who speak out are alone. If every, like, imagine you're in a, in a lynch mob, okay? And the ringleaders say, let's go hang that guy. And a bunch of people say, yeah. Now it might actually only be a quarter of the mob that cheered. And you're in the mob thinking, man, I don't want to lynch that guy. Well, if you, I mean, it's going to take a lot of courage for you to shout out, no, he's innocent. Because then they turn to you and it's like, oh, are you on his side? Are you one of the unclean as well? Maybe we'll lynch you too. So you're like, you know, it seems like everybody's going along with it. So I, I better stay quiet. Meanwhile, three quarters of the mob is thinking the same thing. But because no one's speaking up, each one of them thinks that they're alone. And that is the situation that many of us have found ourselves in in the last year. Some of us still find the courage to speak out, but a lot of people don't. And each 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 person each person who silences themselves, each person who capitulates makes it harder for others to speak and harder for others to resist. So so I guess um I don't know, Kyle, I just I, I think it's important to recognize the mob dynamics at work here because those get hijacked by fascist forces and are used to take over society. And we're seeing no, a lot of that, you know, yeah, the whole yeah, thing. No, yeah. Absolutely. Um, 
Yeah, it's making me um, it's making me think about the Gulag Archipelago, another another you know uh, three volume series. It's obviously been around a lot longer than Jordan Peterson, but he was you know yeah. really beating that drum years ago. Like, pay attention to this; it's all in writing. And one of the the key things that the author reiterates over and over is that in the Gulag, because people had such disbelief, they knew they were innocent. They just went mm-hmm. willingly. No one ever put up a fight. So you got yanked out of your apartment in the middle of the night. And, you know, the neighbor comes out to look and people are almost trying to hold up appearances where they're like, oh, it's, it's fine. You know, it's just a mistake. You know, I'll go quietly. And then they make their way there and they think that surely once I give my interview, um, I'll be sent home because I've done nothing wrong. And then right. torture ensues three or four years later, if they're still alive, they've admitted to doing things that they never in a million years would do just to make sure that the torture stops. And this right. happened time and time again. And he said, he, you know, by the end of his stint, he almost thought that it was, you know, it's, it's a, it's a dark view, but he thought it would might've been, you know, what we deserved is the way that he put it because no one put up a fight. No one said what was going on as it was happening. No one said, this is wrong. I've done nothing and called upon community to stand up with one another And so, you know, as you're saying this, I see this as a real uh, potential issue, you know, if, if we are to remain quiet. And it's been one of the things, you know, there's been two things that have really shifted me in my ability to speak on these things and, and, and at least give my opinion, whether that gets me canceled or not, it doesn't matter. I have a voice and I'm going to use it. Um, First and foremost, this idea that if I'm quiet, it doesn't pan out well. And secondly, the other people that have had have led the way, J.P. Sears being one of them, um, you know, he was he was worried. He has you know millions of followers on Facebook and worried about getting banned and all these things. And he just said, "Look, it turns out there's a large group of people who really respects when someone says their truth, mm-hmm. and even in the sea of cancel culture and um, you know bots being sent out to <laughs> deployed to." to <laughs> poke holes in ideas and just ransack people verbally. Um, even with all that, there's a large group of people who really appreciate when someone speaks their truth. And there's a large group of people who are in alignment with that truth. And that for me was, you know, that, that put a little light at the end of the tunnel of what I thought was possible. Um, seeing you do that, put a little light at the end of the tunnel and seeing other people start to do that has allowed me to feel at least sane in the sense like, okay, it's not me that's just seeing this, you right. know, and, and, and at the same time, you know, you mentioned the cabal and things like that. Like there's a, there are some, some evidence that fuckery has been amidst for quite a long time. Um, you know, I watched, uh, uh, I laughed about this on a solo cast I did on my red pill solo cast. You know, I watched this documentary fall of the cabal mm-hmm. and it goes, you know, really into, it's about three and a half hours long and 10 sections and it really dives deep into uh, human sex slavery and a lot of the things that are happening in the world. And I have friends who are, you know, in special forces who work specifically on this stuff. It's not make-believe. Mm-hmm. And then by the end, they, they, you know, hailed Trump as the second coming of Christ and JFK Jr. is still alive. He's been secretly working with them all along. And I'm like, what the fuck, man? That just took three and a half hours of my life away <laughs> to finish yeah. with that. What are we doing here? You know, so it's like, you know, the, the, it could obviously be taken too far. It could be, you can, you could take truths and you can add, I think, um, 
you know, Alex Jones, he talked about the QAnon movement as taking, um, taking known truths and then adding layers of fiction above it. And wishful thinking. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, just going to backtrack a little bit. Um, first about, about courage, you know, like I think what you were saying points to something that I've learned, which is that courage is contagious. Not only because seeing somebody else be brave kind of puts me to shame, you know, and I'm like, okay, I can be brave too. But also because when someone speaks what I've been unwilling to say, it reminds me that I'm not crazy for wanting to say it. I, I So it, early in the COVID era, I was pretty vocal. I wrote the coronation in which, you know, I'm like, guys, this isn't going to be just two weeks to flatten the curve, you know once instituted these these controlling powers once they you know are activated they're not going to just relent we could have i even said like we could have new viruses we could have variations mutations you know it's just not going away um and and like i was pretty vocal for quite a few months and then i got you know denounced a lot online including by by people i considered close friends and allies and they were like charles you know you're killing people with your words how are you so sure that what you're saying is true and i i i really like basically went silent for the next 8 or 9 months because I had to be sure. I had to know that my descent wasn't just some psychological outpicturing of my defiance against my father or something like that. Like I really asked myself, why do I believe what I believe? And I eventually, it's a longer story, but I came through really, really clear about certain things. Uh, especially the totalitarian direction of society. And it doesn't mean that I accept uncritically every piece of the counter-narrative around COVID. Like, for example, I believe that viruses actually exist and there actually is such a thing as contagion. And, you know, that terrain theory has is an important lens and that we shouldn't see germs just as these evil pathogens, and that we shouldn't see health as a matter of a war against germs. But, you know, there actually is such a thing as a virus. Like, so there's some things, I'm just giving that, I don't necessarily want to talk about that, but, you know, there are some aspects of the mainstream narrative that I do accept, and most that I do not. And eventually I came to this clarity and I began speaking out again. Um, and I got you know, denounced. I got canceled. My own publisher denounced me in public and I got, you know, unsubscribed. And I mean, all kinds of stuff happened. I got to face the fears that had been secretly controlling me to some extent. And, um, and yeah, so, so the other thing, like, you know, the, the, 
counter narrative. It's not just one narrative, as you were saying, it goes into these dark, I call them shadow realities. The human trafficking elite, for example, the cabal. Um, and you can take it as far as you want to go. You can take it to off-planet entities, you know, demonic forces and so on and so forth. The question I always have is where do you stop? Like, where do you draw the line? Because once you step into these shadow realities, they kind of take on a life of their own and you can go deeper and deeper in. And on the one hand, you can never be absolutely certain. And on the other hand, you never like can step across a discernible boundary line from sanity to delusion. So I've, I don't know, maybe this isn't where we, where we really want to go with this, with this conversation, but. Well, this is, I think this is important. I, okay. It certainly is helping me, you know, I mean, I'm asking a lot of these questions just for myself. So <laughs> hopefully there's value for the listener, yeah. but <laughs> yeah, keep going, keep going. Yeah. So t- for me to understand what's going on with, with these shadow realities, it's not. Like I, I use a mythic lens to understand them, to understand that they carry truth that is independent of the objective truth of whether or not, you know, Hillary Clinton, you know, sacrifices babies in a satanic ritual. Like, like the the the, the ego in its quest for certainty wants there to be proof, and once I have that proof, then I will know what to believe. And so the hunt for proof never ends because there's never actual full proof that we can surrender our choice-making capacity to. We would love to not have to make a choice. We would love for belief to rest on a firm foundation of proof. But in fact, belief is a choice of ultimately always a choice of who I am how I relate to the world. Reality is not something outside of ourselves. So when when I understood that there is no certainty that ultimately belief is a choice of who I am, then I, I my 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 thirst for this this addictive thirst. Like you get into that conspiracy world, it becomes an obsession, it becomes an addiction. What are you actually searching for? What, what you're searching for, you cannot find that way. What you're really searching for is sovereignty, where you, you take in the evidence, you listen to the king, the king listens to all of his advisors, but then he makes his own decision. And that, that choice for me, it doesn't matter the objective truth of, you know, whatever, Hillary Clinton or Bill Gates or whoever. It doesn't matter because there are things that I know that are not dependent on the facts. They're dependent on, on they're not dependent on any facts from outside of me. They're dependent on my direct experiences and my gut reaction to things like, like, you know, when I see that photograph of a COVID-safe schoolroom, classroom, where 
each kid is wearing a mask and has a circle drawn around them and they all are playing by themselves and they never see a smile. They never see a full human face. They never touch each other all day and they play solo. Like, I don't care. Like, it sounds, okay. If we were facing, like you were saying, the Spanish flu or like the Black Death and there was a casualty rate of 50% or 30% or even 10%, I would feel differently, but like, I don't care if masking children in school reduces transmission rates by X, Y, and Z, 2%, 1%, 10th of a percent, whatever. I mean, like, I'm just like, something in me is like, no, no. And, and, and the, the spectacle of, you know, people being shipped off to, to, camps in Australia and, and just like the idea of showing your papers everywhere. And like this, the whole thing, I'm just like, I'm just like, no. And I don't need to subjugate that no to these elaborate systems of proof and evidence. And guess what? Everybody else does the same. You decide what you're going to believe, and then you arrange the evidence to fit it. And you arrange the reason, and you think you're being rational, but all you're doing is rationalizing. That's what generally people do. Yeah, so, that, that that makes so much sense. And it's really a good point. You know, it, it briefly, you know, when I was going through this last year, I had, you know, the, I thought I had had ego death in plant medicine journeys. This was just a different level because it was actually the death of the reality I thought I was living in. Mm -hmm. And that was, you know, depression, grief, physical symptoms in my body, the whole gamut as I went through that. And then from that open state, okay, what is the reality I'm living in? Uh, David Icke's been right about 80, 90% of this. Are there fucking archons or is this, you know, was this world created as a holographic image of great spirits world, but it's really run by Beelzebub or Baal or, or Satan, you know, like how far does that go? You know, and ultimately at the end of the day, you know, especially when it comes to the, uh, you know, human, human child trafficking and, and things like that. And, you know, uh, satanic ritual with children and things of that nature, Having kids, you know, you're a parent. That'll that'll yeah. fuck you up. Like that's just entertaining that idea yeah. is enough to cripple one person. Um, and it's no place to stay. You know, I mean, I, I'm thankful that I was able to bounce out of that and really bring it back to, um, you know, this old football acronym: Win. What's important now? Mm-hmm. You know, really as a compass. Well, what's important right now? Okay. Well, again, serenity prayer. What's within my control to do? And, you know, a great question you brought up with Aubrey Marcus is what do I really want? You know, and if Mm -hmm. I can really get clear on that, I do still today have enough power within me to shape my reality. If I think we continue long enough down this path, that changes for certain. It already has. I mean, 9-11 changed it to a degree. Mm -hmm. Um, But really circling back to that, what do I really want? And how do I accomplish that? You know, what are the steps necessary? What's important for me right now to do today? 
to actually start to create and still act and operate as a co-creator of this reality, not as a victim of some deep, you know, thousand year plan that we have our only hope is Donald Trump. Right. Yeah. This is what I'm talking about when I speak of mythic truth or mythological truth. Because, and you just named it, you know, this, this feeling like, do I choose to believe that we are victims of a thousand year old, 10,000 year old plan orchestrated by powers with technology so far beyond our own that we are essentially helpless? Like if, if the cabal is so powerful, so well organized, uh, like what hope is there, you know? And, and what part, so, so the mythic truth that, that, um, I apply to it actually draws a bit from the idea that at the top of this pyramid are, um, non-human powers. Well, where do these powers reside? Are they in the 3D? Are they somewhere where you could find them at point X comma Y comma Z at time T and there it is? That's the reality picture that we have grown up in. It's the modern Cartesian worldview. But in quantum reality, there is no such thing as point X comma Y comma Z time T. Either it happened or it didn't happen. Things can be in a superposition of states. They can both be there and not be there. So this, this, the, the hidden powers that run our world may not be really identifiable as anything of our world. They may live in the same realm as ideas, as stories, as myths, as, as paradigms. Paradigms have a corporeal existence in a non-3D world. Like a paradigm is a being. So I think it's, it's, a, it's a kind of a subtle error to postulate these controlling powers in a way that, that we could go to war against them and take them down by the same kinds of force-based 3D methods that are now in control of this world. We have to actually access a different understanding of causality and of being in order to emerge from the nightmare that we are now confined in. So, yeah, maybe that, that might, I hope that, that isn't too abstract. No, that was, that was, that was beautiful. Yeah. And I'm I'm thinking right now of Paul Levy, who I had on the podcast, he wrote Mm -hmm. the, he wrote several, four books, but Dispelling with Tico is coming to mind. And really, you know, that, that the devil exists within each of us, you know, this idea of that, that level of darkness is inherent in all of us. And it's important to understand that. I think that's what Peterson was pointing to in pointing out the fact that Nazi Germany was the blink of an eye ago. This isn't, you know, primitive man that yeah. formed that formed those ideas. Um, and eugenics was around before Hitler and and remains around today, you know. So so you know, these these things are in each of us. And to focus on the external 
leaves us powerless, but to focus it internal, where is that in me? How am I behaving in this way? How am I parenting in this way? How am I right. um, being a boss in this way at the, in, my, in my job place? That's where we take the power back and have right. an opportunity to really relinquish that and honor the fact that, yes, this does exist archetypically, spiritually, psychologically, whatever you want to call that, whichever lens you look through, you can say yes to that. And now what? Yeah. And, and, and like, how am I dehumanizing others? How am I exploiting others? How am I in a seat of domination? Because like all this, you know, human trafficking stuff, like the child exploitation stuff, I mean, really what that is, it's dehumanization, objectification, domination taken to its ultimate extreme. And like, I do not disbelieve that such things happen on earth. And I, and I accept that human trafficking rings penetrate into the highest levels of our society. And I think that it is almost inevitable that what is ambient in the whole society will be expressed in extreme form somewhere. I don't necessarily accept that the human trafficking elite is in charge of everything in this conscious way. Um, and that we can ascribe all of the problems of the world to a pathogen called the cabal that we could eliminate with, you know, a vaccine, <laughs> uh, you know, or, or some, like, that the solution, here's the solution template. It's find the pathogen and kill it. That is that the the mindless acceptance of that is responsible for covid hysteria it's behind industrial agriculture it's behind the war on terror you know it's behind the the prison industrial system i mean the same mindset where every problem is reduced to one perpetrator one cause that can be suppressed contained destroyed i mean even the ecological crisis is being framed in terms of one bad thing, carbon dioxide, and we can control that and solve all the problems. Yeah, tax like, will fix that, right? You've seen yeah, the memes. Like, can, can you tax COVID and make it go away? <laughs> right. So like <laughs> this same. whole mindset, this is the mindset that is, is, is it runs our whole society. And, and when we take the same mindset and apply it to the cabal, like I'm suspicious of that. You know, because it just is too comfortable. It conforms too well to the story that runs everything already. Find the bad thing, go to war against it. The solution is always a war against something. It's always to dominate, to outcompete something. Winners and losers, good guys and bad guys. That, the real revolution, overturns that whole way of thinking. And that doesn't mean that there's never a time for a fight. It doesn't mean that there's never a time to draw a boundary. It doesn't mean that there aren't very, very sick people doing horrendously evil things in the world. I accept all of that, but that's not the deepest level of explanation. The same way that, yeah, I accept that there is a virus that is killing people, but that is not the deepest level of explanation for why human beings are so freaking unhealthy today. It's it, We're not going to get healthier by finding one bad guy after another, after another to 
dominate and destroy. That's we've been doing that for a long time, and we're getting less and less healthy, less and less happy, less and less safe. Like look at school shootings. When I was a kid, it was open campus. Anybody in the community could enter any school at any time. And there weren't any school shootings. Now schools have locked doors, razor wire sometimes, dogs to sniff out bombs, you know, like surveillance cameras everywhere, undercover cops, metal detectors. Each one of these measures was to make them more safe. And it adds up to less safety, despite them, or maybe because of them. Same thing with all the health interventions in the body. You know, all these medical pharmaceutical products, each of which were meant to control something. The end result, that the the thing that control seeks gets farther and farther away. So I, I would like to to offer a um, different kind of revolution, which is into a holistic understanding of the world, where we don't have to control everything to enjoy health, well-being, safety, security. In fact, it's quite the opposite. And the reason is that there's an intelligence in the world beyond the human intelligence. The modern mind thinks that we have to impose intelligence onto a world that has none, onto a world that is just a random mess of force and mass, protons, neutrons, and electrons, and we bring order to chaos. We impose the human design onto a world that has no design. But mystics never believed that. Religions never believed that. Uh, indigenous people never believed that. Most people understood that there is an intelligence in the world beyond our own, and that we can participate in that intelligence. We can contribute to it. We can look to see what our role is in the expansion of the aliveness of the world. We're not alone here. And I think ultimately all of this stuff all this COVID stuff is, is an initiation into realizing that. Yeah. We had Dr. Will Tegel on the podcast and he talked about this, this vision he had at night where he saw there was a, uh, a GPS guidance system within the center of the earth guiding it about its trajectories and a GPS guiding system within the sun and a GPS, that same GPS guiding system within the entire universe was found within the center of us. And it's our ability to listen to that and kind of go with the flow of life that allows mm-hmm. us to tune into synchronicity and tune into the ever unfolding with our intuition and a deeper level of knowing without needing evidence to back it. And he said this, you know, all of these things, whether it's nature medicine knocking on our front door with the, the winter storms or any of these things that are, that are causing upheaval within the world are all designed in some way to aid us in circling back to that remembrance. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a beautiful image. Yeah, brother. Well, it's been, it's been incredible having you on. 
Um, I certainly want to have you on more and more. I know we could keep going for a long time, but I really appreciate your time and I appreciate your work. Um, where can people find you online, Charles? Oh, I guess Substack is probably the best place now. Charles something or other. I have a website also, but my new stuff is there. Very cool. Um, yeah. yeah. And you can, you can get all your newsletters for free or you can, uh, choose like I did to throw Charles some dough each month or sign up for the yearly. And, um, that just aids more of the brilliance that's coming through you. So I truly, truly appreciate all the work that you do and, um, your perspective, which has reminded me of my own sanity. And at the same time, um, continued to allow me to, to poke holes where it's necessary in my own frame of thinking to make sure that I'm not stepping off on a ledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, really appreciate you, brother. Thanks for, yeah, thanks, thanks for Kyle. your time on the podcast. Yeah, my pleasure.